This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's a Friday edition of Now with Dave Brown, which means that we fire up the weekly news panel. We power things up by welcoming into the show Joita Gupta and Michelle McQuaig. Hey, Joita, how are you? Hey, Dave. Good morning. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well. And Michelle, how are you? Fine, guys. I'm glad to hear you're both well. I think I think we're all bouncing back. I think we're all bouncing back after fighting off these uh, respiratory illnesses that are flowing around. Oh, so boy. lots of yeah. energy today. We've all had our turn, I think, in, we, in the past month. I've, I've had my turn twice, so I'm done. I'm oh. officially done. Although I guess there's three things going around. So influenza's next, I suppose. Uh, guys, speaking of our own health, let's talk more broadly about health care. A meeting with Canada's health ministers has ended with no agreement after the federal government pulled out. The walkout was prompted after the premiers released a statement during the meetings. The statements repeated a call for the federal government to fund 35% of health care spending, up from 22%. Federal Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos called the statement interference. Premiers are forcing my colleagues to speak only of one thing, and one thing only, money. All that premiers keep saying is that they want an unconditional increase in the Canada health transfer sent to their finance ministers. Duclos says there was still progress made during negotiations, even if there was not a formal agreement. That's not going to happen the same way we were expecting it would happen today. But the good news is, again, that we all agree on the priorities. If the premiers didn't impose marching orders on uh, my colleagues, health ministers, we would all, all be together today and recognize the plan and the work ahead. BC Health Minister Adrian Dix says he understands the frustration from Duclos. Fair enough. They didn't uh, like that the premiers reiterated their position on the Canada health transfer. That's entirely fair of the federal government to do in their expression, but I think it's disappointing. I'm not sure it sends the best message. Dick says that more cooperation is needed between levels of government if the healthcare system is going to be revitalized. To succeed in the future, to build the healthcare system we need, we need the federal government to increase its role and support for public health care and not, as has been happening for too, too long, diminish that role. We need the spirit that we came together with under COVID-19 to be the spirit that we come together with in, uh, in addressing the issues around the Canada health transfer. Michelle, let's start here. Obviously, it would have been nice to come out of this with a deal, but should we really be surprised that increasing federal health transfer from 22% to 35% was not going to get done at a two-day conference? I mean, no. Of course, it wouldn't be done that quickly, but this is hardly a new issue, right? This is something that's been coming up for quite a long time. It was the central issue when all the premiers gathered in British Columbia earlier this year. Uh, So I think that the... The kind of acrimonious tone jumped out at me, given the fact that this is not exactly a new issue or or a new request that's been coming Duclos' way. Uh, So the kind of combative tone that sprang up uh, did surprise me, even if the fact that there there was no active resolution. And I might have expected to see a little bit more progress made towards closing that gap. It's a huge one. 13% is a massive, massive gap in terms of those negotiations. Uh, But we don't have any sense that we're any closer to a deal and uh, I, I was I was a little bit surprised at the way this actually broke down, especially given the fact that 
not discussing the money uh, would be kind of beside the point. It, mm. would, it, would be, it would be the elephant in the room, and I really don't see how one could have discussions around the health file in Canada without having that conversation. Yeah, it did seem like after day one there was some common ground about some of the strings attached the federal government was yeah. talking about, and then the whole thing fell apart on day two. Joita, was this an, as an example of perhaps the expectations were too high going into this conference? Um It's hard to say what was expected by whom. Often these conferences come after months of preparation. It's not that they get together on day one and ever have a resolution on day two or day three. You know, there's been behind the scenes conversations taking place presumably for months before this conference. And the hope was that there would have been an opportunity to ink a deal, sign the dotted line, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, it didn't happen. Michelle pointed out the combative tone and the fact that things, uh, communications clearly broke down. Um, and so I'm a bit perplexed as to what was actually agreed to ahead of time, if anything was actually agreed to ahead of time. You get the sense from hearing Duclos that um, there might have been some kind of an agreement in place, but either the provinces backed out or introduced new things, having received marching orders from the premier that had not been discussed prior to the conference. So it's really unclear as to when and how the uh, discussions broke down in the spe- in the spectacular and public fashion that they did. But there is a, lo- a large gap between 22% and 35%. And it didn't even seem as though there was any effort being made to meet in the middle. So there was no negotiation happening. There was no, you know, say sentiment that we couldn't get to agree on this today, but, you know, let's give it another day or two and see if we can come meet in the middle. You didn't really get a lot of that. You saw a very significant breakdown and a very acrimonious tone, which is, I suspect, the last thing that Canadians need, given how deeply embattled our healthcare workers are and how much strain the healthcare system is under, especially in light of the Mm. last two years in COVID-19. To call a press release interference, I think, is like a little bit, a little bit much from the federal health minister. That said, I, I imagine it had to be more than just the press release that got released in the middle of the day on Tuesday that had this all fall <coughs> apart. I do wonder at what point these health ministers, this is speculation, but I do wonder at what point these health ministers said, we can't agree to anything while we're here unless you agree to 35%. And this comes from the top. And at that point, I would say, okay, that may be interference because now we're not bargaining in good faith. We're just making demands. But what, Michelle, what do you make of the federal health minister calling the premiers releasing <laughs> a, a press release interference? Interference seems a I, a bit strong, and yet at the same time, the, the, I will say that I can see where he's coming from in terms of the optics. I think about this in terms of a, if a meeting were taking place at a uh, less exalted workplace, perhaps. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if there was a meeting going on and someone busted out of the meeting and released details about it way in advance, the higher-ups would not be pleased, and rightly so. So I can see how he sort of took it that way. The fact that the ministers released something before the talks had concluded, I think is a, is a pretty uh, bold maneuver, and I can understand why it generated the pushback that it did. Um, <clears throat> that said, though, interference from the premiers seems a bit of a push. Uh, that, that, Like I said, this is something that has not come out of the blue. These conversations have been going on for some time. The premiers were not actually in the room. Um, so I thought it was kind of an interesting characterization. He was really trying to shift the blame away mm-hmm. from those who were there with him to those who were not. Uh, that also has a, a 
optics that I would be inclined to question mm. a little bit. Yeah, you even you even heard that in the clip, right? Oh, my colleagues, mm. my fellow health ministers, and now they're getting marching orders from somewhere else. It, that even comes across in the clip to say, no, 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 it's not the people who are in the room. It's the people outside the room. It's outside forces that stop exactly. us from making this deal. Uh, Joita, what do you make of the, the use of the word interference? Yeah, it's interesting. Again, now, mind you, I wasn't a fly on the wall as much as I would have left to have been. Oh, man. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> right? Right? Uh, none of us actually know what went on there, but I think it is worth remembering that health ministers or any minister uh, ultimately belong to the government and they do take their marching orders from, if you're talking provincially, the premiers and if you're talking federally, the prime minister. So you don't really get a situation where health ministers of any stripe can go ahead and just ink deals on their own volition or do the you know do whatever it is that they feel they want to do um ultimately they do have to have uh they do have to defer to the premier in this case of the respective province they do have to get them to sign off so i feel like it is a bit of a stretch to suggest that there was interference given that health ministers can't act autonomously anyways um i think the point that michelle raised about optics and rhetoric is a really good one i said a few minutes ago uh, this is not a good look for the federal government in light of the last two years and how much pressure the healthcare system has been under. We've talked about healthcare workers being heroes. We've also talked about healthcare workers being severely burnt out. We've talked about the wait times. We talked about people not getting access to elective surgeries. There's all of this bad news around the healthcare system. So the last thing the federal government can really go out and say in public is, sorry, we don't want to put more money towards healthcare. That's not going to go down well with the public. So what do they do? They shift the rhetoric and they shift the blame by saying, it's not us, it's them. Mm. It's the premiers who are, you know, sticking their noses in here. And it's the premiers who are refusing to broker a deal. It's the premiers who are talking about money, money and just money. And, you know, in fairness to the federal government and the provincial government, I think it's hard to have a conversation about health care without talking about health care spending and without talking about money. But I do think a big Part of this was Duclos' attempt to shift blame away from the federal government and to say we're not responsible for the state of crisis. It's not that we're trying to be stingy with the money. It's just that this came to us out of nowhere because the premiers were interfering. And you have to wonder, because again, I said I'm not in the room. I don't know if this was a last-minute demand that the premiers put forward or if it was something that the federal government just could not be seen to go, you know, they couldn't publicly say we don't want, we don't have the means or we don't want to put more money towards the healthcare system right now. That is political. That's a very bad move politically, so they defer and they shift the blame onto the provinces. For fear of people's eyes glazing over, if I bring in tax policy, I do want to talk about taxes for a second here. This was our daily poll the other day where I asked, uh, should provinces, if they really want more money for healthcare spend- spending, shouldn't they just raise their own taxes? Like it is a provincial file. It, they have control over their own tax policy. They can raise taxes if they want to. Uh, unsurprisingly, the answers that came back from social media were no, we do not want them to raise taxes. But I think that's because people just don't like the idea of taxes, period. I think that has more to do with people's yeah. belief on taxes rather than grappling with the issue in good faith because a lot of provinces this past fiscal year ran surpluses. They ran surpluses. So it makes it a little bit difficult for for me at least to understand from a federal government point of view who just poured money out to provinces over the pandemic, just borrowed a ton of money, ran up a bunch of deficits, and just handed that money to provinces and said, here, here, crisis, 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 here is some money. I kind of like feel like this is just my own feeling that the federal government probably to a certain degree says, 
yo, guys, we stepped up for you. How about you take a political bullet for once and you run a little deficit instead of us having to perpetually run deficits and then have you criticize us for being fiscally irresponsible as you guys are running surpluses now? Quebec's finance minister, Eric Girard, the other day said, listen, we're talking about sustainable funding models, not the ups and downs of surpluses and yeah. deficits year in, year out. So, yep. again, I'm empathetic to the position. But again, if you're a province, you can arrange your own structural funding by raising taxes. So, Michelle, shouldn't there be some onus or obligation on provinces to actually raise their own taxes, you know, run their own fiscal policy on their health file? Oh, Dave, this is way above my pay grade. But I, I, I will say this. I, I mean, this, this is where I, I get into some personal difficulties around <clears throat> distinguishing between tax policy and, and, and the reality of having raised taxes. The fact is that no one wants to have that conversation, even if it is perhaps a really, really pressing one. Uh, no one really wants to go there, though. It is political suicide. We've seen what happens anytime taxes <clears throat> are, are proposed as a solution. And I don't I understand from a political perspective why no government really wants to go there. <clears throat> we have a number of premiers now who would absolutely never even consider it. It's simply not going to happen, say, here in Ontario or in Alberta, for instance. It's 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 off the table. Any talk of tax increases is going to be shut down immediately. Should the onus exist? Perhaps. But we don't live in a world where we get uh, ideal scenarios. We have to deal with political realities. And given those political realities, I don't think taxes will ever be floated as a realistic solution. And in terms of the federal skin in the game, I, I do think that is something that does need to be talked about. The, the fact is that the things do change. The provinces do take the bulk of the bullets when the healthcare system goes awry because it is their file. But the federal government does have a vested interest in, in maintaining the healthcare system. It's supposed to be one of our shining international mm -hmm. uh, accomplishments. So one could make it just as good an argument, I think, for the government uh, stepping up to the degree that the ministers are asking for. Yeah, it is fair to say that, that health care, as it's enshrined in Canada, does start at the federal level. Under the Canada Health Act, there are four tenets. We don't need to get into all of them now, but universality and portability are two of the big things, that mm. there's supposed to be a level yeah. of standard across the, whole, across the whole country, and that's where the federal government comes in as a regulator, essentially, on that front. So, you're, Michelle, you are right to identify. It's not simply a provincial file, but, you know, sometimes your boy gets a little passionate over here. Uh, Joita, <laughs> what, what do you make of, of the tax the tax side of this conversation. Yes, I think in this political reality, it's going to be hard to sell anyone, especially in the cost of living crisis that we're dealing with right now, to sell anyone on paying higher taxes. Um, and I'm talking about the fact that people are really feeling the pinch right now when they go to the grocery store or till very recently until they were going to fill their, you know, they're going to fill the gas at the, at the gas station. It's going to be very hard to, to sell politically the idea that the way you, you, restore or revitalize the healthcare system is by taxing people more. Besides which, uh, again, from the point of view of rhetoric, what the province has said is that historically it had been a 50-50 split between the, pro the provinces and the federal government. We're not there right now. The provinces are claiming that the federal government is putting in 22% with the balance coming from the provinces. The federal government is quibbling about those numbers and saying when you adjust for inflation, it's actually closer to 36%. But no one is saying it's near that 50-50 split. So I think one of the reasons why they're not actually going to go ahead and, so, and propose 
increasing provincial taxes as a solution, though it could be a solution. A, it's because it's not going to fly with their base and with voters. And B, it's because it effectively lets the federal government off the hook, mm. which is what provincial mm. governments don't yeah. want. The second thing I want to pick up on is something you said, Dave, and I just want to dig into it a little bit more, which is around the Canada Health Act and the fact that we are supposed to have a national healthcare system with uh, you know those the the four things that you laid out: universality, portability, standardization. So let's just run with what you're saying here. Let's assume that the federal government backs off more or even entirely. You could have a province with very deep pockets and deep revenues and the ability to raise a lot of taxes, and they will be fine. Their healthcare system will fare well. But what about a province that doesn't have, let's say, the same access to natural resources, doesn't have the same access to revenue, isn't able to generate the same uh, amount of, of, of income tax? What happens to the healthcare system in that province. Part of the reason why the federal government has a role to play, it isn't just about, you know, the dollars and the cents. It's about guaranteeing a minimum standard of healthcare across the country, regardless mm. of where you live. And I think that's a big part politically. Um, you know, that's a, a big reason why politically the taxation argument isn't going to float. But I also want to say, what about a Canadian uh, who goes from, let's say, I don't know, Alberta to New Brunswick to Quebec. It's the involvement of the federal government that will hopefully ensure that they'll get the same level of health care and the same level of treatment regardless of which province they live in. And that's not something you can guarantee mm -hmm. once you take the federal government out of the yeah. equation. Another crucial part that the federal government plays is Indigenous health care. Mm -hmm. This is the file that they are solely responsible for. And I feel like that particular topic is not necessarily coming up in these conversations to the degree that perhaps it needs to. Mm, that's well put. And I think that's a good spot to land this conversation. Thank you for visiting this meeting with me. And as I say, every time we talk about health care, I sense we'll talk about this again sometime inside the next month because that's just the way <laughs> it goes. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts. <laughs>